welcome you on this day of the wise men, the kings. Thank you, orchestra, for that presentation. Thank you, Celio, for being the, the conductor of that group. If you've not had the chance to meet Celio, he joined our choir back in November, coming to be a real blessed part of our community and his uh, skill at directing instrumentation uh, is a joy. So we are so glad to have him as a part uh, of our team. Thank you for your ministry, Celio, so much today. Thank you, orchestra, again. So on the three kings. Actually, though, we're really going to focus on two kings, the two that we just heard about in the scripture, David and Solomon and a promise that was made. Before we get to all that, let's take just a minute. I want to say to you again, it's good to welcome you back. I hope you had a joyful and a meaningful holiday season. One of the things that uh, I personally wrestle with each year as a pastor is how to encourage people who find the holiday season more of a downer than an upper, uh, more of a struggle than a joy. I mean, you know, we can all, those of us who've grown up, uh, shall we say, from the 60s on, we can all smile when we hear Elvis sing blue, blue, blue Christmas. But the fact is that there are a lot of people who are blue during the holiday season. Sometimes it's due to the loss of someone from their lives. Sometimes it's because of a new pressure, a new stress point that has entered into their lives. It's interesting, we, we do talk about this some. We, we tried to talk about it uh, several weeks ago in one of our Sunday services. It's interesting, statistically, depression and suicide do not actually increase during the holidays, but it's talked about more. And, and I think that there are a couple reasons for that probably. Uh, one is that it's noticed more because here's the good thing. When we get together with family and friends over the holidays, which is almost unavoidable, the good thing is there are often those of you who are watching out for those who are having a hard time. God bless you. Thank you for that ministry. We should always be aware of the others around us who may not be celebrating quite the good year that we had. We should always be loving and prayerful and supportive uh, for them. Sometimes it's also more noticeable just because it's a contrast, right? The, those who are, are depressed or who are feeling down, there's a distinct contrast between them and those who are in this joyful celebration with family and friends on the holidays. So kind of looking back over it, you know, maybe you made it through Thanksgiving with a smile still on your face, and then you get to the holiday doubleheader of Christmas and New Year's when almost everyone seems to be oozing good cheer and merriment. And so it gets a little bit tough because what do you do if you're the one who's not feeling that? What do you do if, if the world around you is all wrapped up in red and green and silver and gold, but you're feeling blue in the Christmas or New Year, post-Christmas, post-New Year season? So I just want to give actually a few words before we put the holiday season behind us and say this. First of all, if, if, if I'm describing you in any way, I want you to hear this. Feeling down in the holiday season does not make you a Scrooge. It does not make you a bad person. And you should know that you are not alone. There are many others who face similar feelings. The blues in the holidays are more common than you might think. Secondly, I'd like to encourage you with this word. Be kind to yourself. Can we just stop beating each other up over this kind of stuff? 
Don't beat yourself up when you feel like, well, I'm, everybody else is being happy and I don't really feel. That's okay. It's not a sin to feel things. Okay? We all have stuff we're dealing with. Third, I want you to take a few minutes with me today to learn about some of the causes and remedies for the feelings of loss and disappointment and anger that often get manifested at this time of year. And I want you to understand when I say learn about, I'm talking about more than simple education. I'm talking about more than simply reciting a list of things. I'm talking about spiritual, emotional, and personal growth so that the next time we face it, we face it a little more prepared. We're a little more uh, ready for what is coming and we handle it in a way that is a little better for us and for those around us. For example, let me get a little clearer here. We all understand that memories and traditions are a big part of the holidays, right? I mean, there are some things you just have to have. But I want you to hear this because this is, this is the difficult truth. If your current life circumstances aren't what you would like, then you may get stuck longing for the happier times in the past at the expense of the present. This is a dangerous thing for you. That's why I want you to be aware of it. Sometimes naming it, sometimes seeing it, sometimes knowing what it is can really help you begin to deal with it. So sometimes when we're so locked into the stuff of the past, it keeps us from fully embracing what's going on in the present. And what happens is then that feels, leads to feelings of sadness. It leads to, to feelings of frustration and loss and resentment and even anger at those who aren't feeling what we're feeling. Now, see, I was working in all this, thinking about this as I thought about you, as I prayed for you over the holidays. And I came to realize that the truth of that statement that you see on the screen behind me, the statement that I've just put forward, this statement is true about much more than just the holidays. This is a statement about life. This is a statement about life. Because you see, especially I think folks like us, and what do I mean when I say folks like us? Because we are a very diverse group of people. But you see, if we're living in this country that we like to call the land of opportunity, when opportunities don't go our way, or I began to think about it this way, when our disappointing moments outweigh, when they're easier to enumerate our disappointing moments rather than our defining moments, when our grudges exceed our gratitude, when fear tries to smother faith, when complaints overwhelm compliments, when we protest more than we praise, brothers and sisters, that's a pretty clear indication that we're living in the land of unmet expectations, not opportunities. When, when those things don't go our way, that's the unmet un expectations. And so the question is, do you feel like you're living in the land of opportunity or are you living in the land of unmet expectations today? Hmm. Because you see, 
these, these two lands, opportunities, unmet expectations, they are the proverbial two sides of the same coin. It is absolutely true. When a possibility catches our eye and it becomes a desire for us, when it becomes a goal, and here at the new year, I mean, what else are we thinking about other than new goals and new plans and the desires we have? You know, what are you hoping for in 2019? When we're thinking about those kinds of desires and goals, but then we do not attain that goal. If the door to that opportunity closes as quickly as we thought it had opened and we don't handle that disappointment correctly, then we find ourselves responding with negative emotions that are the trademarks of unmet expectations. And as I thought about that, all of that together speaks to me about how we are managing our lives, our resources, our relationships, our responsibilities. So it is about what I would call life stewardship, not just money stewardship, life stewardship. And so that's what we're going to be talking about all during this month of January on Sunday mornings. How are we managing our lives in the face of disappointments or the face of difficult circumstances or even in the face of distracting successes? Because that's often what happens. How can we live in such a way that we can faithfully, faithfully bring pleasure and honor to God? That's what we want to talk about us because for me, it seems kind of obvious that the challenge for us is that when we do not handle unmet expectations well, here's what happens. We begin, we have a goal, we don't hit it, we, no, 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 we suffer from unmet expectations. We begin to feel like we are owed more by somebody than we are getting out of life. I know I'm not speaking to any of you fine upstanding people right? You've never felt like you deserve better than what you were getting. So when we start thinking about that, instead of living lives of gratitude for what we have, for a joy in what is before us, instead of living with generosity, what happens instead is that we begin to hoard unto ourselves things that we think will make us richer, that Somehow my time, my money, my self-interest, if I can manage it, I, I'm just going to keep that to myself and I'll be better off. It will make me richer. No, it will not. You see, think about how silly it is, but what happens is we head down this road of unmet expectations and we begin to think that we could manage to bring more blessings to our lives on our own terms than we will receive by trusting and obeying God. I didn't say it's true. I just said we begin to think that way. We can't, but we think we can. Expectations and desires are such a beautiful yet dangerous part of life. You know, when you have a dream, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? 
And to see a dream fulfilled, it's fantastic. It creates a feeling in your heart that I think is really essential for a meaningful life. When you find that job that is the right fit for you, when you find that person perhaps uh, that is a, a great fit for you, when you find relationships uh, you know, uh, in your neighborhood, at school, whatever, th- that are life-giving, soul-feeding, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. But when you have a dream that doesn't work out, it's a struggle. I mean, let's face it, if you don't feel anything about dreams, if you, if you don't hope for anything, you don't ever have a dream, it probably means you've lost your passion for living. Here's the question, though. How do we maintain that joy? How do we maintain that zeal? How do we maintain that energy when we are suffering from unmet expectations? The Bible is very honest about this struggle. That should not surprise you, but I never cease to be amazed at people who think the Bible it, it just all has, says all the good stuff. It gives honest, it gives honest input. And here's what it says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What that says is when I have a dream, when I have an expectation, when I have that goal and I'm working toward it, but I can't get there, that hope deferred can make the heart sick. Hmm. That's a, that's a quick takeaway from the verse. It talks about what happens if it's deferred and it says what happens If the desire is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. And so, you know what? You don't have to be a a biblical genius to look at that verse and say this. A quick takeaway from that verse. Hopes and dreams have both a positive and and a negative possibility. It's all about how you manage them. It's how you steward them. It's how you work with them. Listen, not every dream Not every desire that we have will actually lead us to a good place. Just because we think something would be great doesn't mean it's God's desire for us. Nor is God obligated to follow my schedule or yours about when we think those blessings should come. God has his own sense of timing, and the Bible says this, He makes all things beautiful when? In his time, not on our schedule. That's not the verse. The verse says he makes all things beautiful in his time. It can be painful. It can be hurtful. Hope deferred makes the heart sick when we have unmet expectations. So here's our first point of the day. We need to keep your heart alive in the face of unmet expectations. Let's talk about how to do that. How to keep your heart alive in the face of unmet expectations. Because everyone who dares to be honest with themselves knows that deep down inside us, there are strong desires in our hearts. There are people who want to cure 
a disease. They want to be that person who makes that difference in the world. There are people who are longing to be a mom or a dad or to be a good husband or to be a good spouse or just to be a great friend. There are people who say, I have great career goals. I want to make a difference. I actually want to be a politician who accomplishes something. There are people who say that. Believe it or not, right now, given all we're going through in Washington, there are people. They're out there somewhere. We just got to find them and put them in office. Okay. I, I, I digress. There are people who just want to, you know, I just want to move up pastors. So I want to move up one notch at work. I'd like to earn a little more money, be a little more secure, provide a little bit better for my family. Listen, you don't have to be a counselor to understand that if these good desires, these are good desires, if they go unmet for too long, it's understandable that that hope deferred begins to make the heart sick. It's understandable. Hear me carefully on this. But even though it is understandable, God doesn't say it's permissible for the long haul. In other words, don't, don't, again, I don't want you to beat yourself up for how you feel, but listen, here, God does never say, he never says this, I know I haven't given you everything you wanted when you wanted it, so you go ahead and be in charge. God never says that. That is not a teaching of the scriptures. Instead, this is what he says, Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, see, so here's the point. Sometimes this hope deferred that makes the heart sick, we got the wrong dream. Or we got the dream in the wrong place of priority. I want you to keep that in mind as we proceed. So let's sum up. I've given you a lot of both biblical input and some basic psychology here this morning. Let's do a, a quick review because we have, as I read the scriptures, having looked at these today even, we, we, some things that appear to be somewhat divergent facts that we have to make sense of. So here they are. We're going to put them on the screen for you. Number one, it's good to have desires. The Bible talks about that. It's, where it's good to, 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 to desire things, to want to aspire to things. That's okay. Secondly, he does say that desires unmet will make the heart sick. Hmm. Boy, put one and two together. Hmm. Number three, in life, there are many desires that will go unmet. Can I get an amen? See, some of y'all hadn't lived long enough. Those of you who've lived long enough, let me hear you say it again. Amen. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then fourthly, God expects us to guard our hearts so they don't get sick, seeking the wrong things, longing for the wrong desire, or insisting that God's timing be our timing. When you look at these things, you know, you can say these four facts, they're kind of on a collision course. You want to have desires, but desires unmet create problems, unmet expectations. Oh, how, do we, how do we manage all this? So can the Bible help us? with this? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because it absolutely can. 
Matter of fact, if you were paying attention this morning, as Julie read the scriptures for us from that story of the two kings, David and Solomon, you got a glimpse into part of what's going on there in 1 Kings chapter 8, 17 through 20 and verse 27. That's where Solomon is explaining David's unmet expectations. You remember, David wanted to be, he had a dream. You can hear him say it long before MLK came along. David had a dream. I have a dream to build a temple for the house, to be the house of my God. What a great dream. David, the great king, he's going to build a temple. And then we read that passage and we understand God said, yeah, you know, that's a good thing for you to think about, but you're not going to get to do that. You're not going to get to do that. God said, I'm not going to allow you to do it. It's going to be done by Solomon, your son. Now, remember, unmet expectations, part of that is dealing with when you don't get what you want, when you don't get what you expect. And that's what David is now having to deal with. He really wanted to do this, please note, very good thing. He wanted to do this, please note, admirable religious thing only to hear God say you did well to have it in your heart but you are not the one well well that David had to think that's kind of disappointing that stings a bit and we might think therefore that the you know, we get this broken heart. Here's the way, I, 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 David should never have desired to do that. He should have just been more careful. He should have been more circumspect. He should have just, uh, he should just not have taken this great risk. He, he should have built a little wall around his desires. I, I guard my heart by limiting uh, my dreams. Instead of saying nothing ventured, nothing gained, you say nothing ventured, nothing lost. I just play it safe. Hmm. But God doesn't say, prevent all desires from entering your heart. He doesn't say that. He instructs us to guard our hearts so that our desires are placed in the correct place. And that ultimately is where? It's in him. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Wow, I, that became a, I just moved up on my list of good memory verses for the year. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Because when you desire him, you don't have to worry about the unmet expectations. But when you make it about some other dream, something that we want. So I, here's what I take away from that verse. I think our takeaway from that verse is simply this. God must reign over all our desires, including our unmet expectations. God must reign over all our desires, including our unmet expectations. Let me explain this. Because you see, think about David. Don't leave his example yet. If David's ultimate desire, the highest thing he could do in life was to build God a temple, then when God said, you are not the one, you're just devastated. I mean, where do you go from there? This is your goal in life, to build a temple, right? Right? 
But God did not condemn David for having the desire. God actually said that although David was not going to be the one to build God a temple, he was going to make a way for it. He was going to use his son. And so it was good of David to have this desire, but his expectation was unmet. His hope was deferred. But here's the interesting thing. David's heart did not get sick. Why? Because building the temple was not his main desire. His main desire was to please the Lord. So when God said, it's good of you to have that desire, but that's not for you. David didn't stomp off into his room, throw a little hissy fit, talk about how unfaithful God was. No, that's not what happened. Basically, David appears to have taken on the attitude that Jesus would later demonstrate. Remember when Jesus said, "Uh, I don't really want to go to the cross. (laughs) In other words, he said, maybe maybe you recognize it more like this. Father, please let this cup pass from my lips. That means I'm not particularly anxious to suffer. I'm not not looking forward to that. Don't really want to to die. Nevertheless, what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's from Luke 22. And that's essentially what David is doing at this moment. See, Jesus did not lose heart when his desire to avoid the cross was rejected. He said, I would rather this cup pass from my lips, but not my will, thine be done. And then what happened? He had to go right through that thing that he preferred not to go through. Why? Because his higher preference, his higher desire was to do the will of the Father, to bring honor and praise and glory to his Abba. Jesus brought every desire under the stewardship of his ultimate desire, which was to glorify God the Father. Now, folks, I, I think we just need to spend a few extra moments here because I, I want everybody hearing my voice today to understand just how thoroughly Jesus lived this out as our righteous example. Not just once, not just when he went to the cross. Oh, no, no, no. You don't get to the cross and make that decision if you haven't made a bunch of other decisions before that, folks. Do you understand? See, sometimes, sometimes we think, oh, if it came to it, I would lay my life down. What? But you can't get up and go to Bible study? But you're going to lay your life down. Can't, can't find it in yourself to open up and give God back the 10% that he asked for, but you'd give God everything. Whoa, a little reality check here for us as we start this new year. I want you to understand that for Jesus, it was a journey. So guess what it is for us? It's a journey. We learn. We take steps of obedience and we grow on this journey. So listen to what Jesus did because, you see, most of us here who are, in spite of the fact that we are Christ followers, let's tell the truth. We love our comfortable existence here in the good old U.S. of A. We love it. Very few of us, there are some, but there are very few of us who know what it is to suffer physically or materially or occupationally because of our faith decisions. But there are people around the world who do. 
I was thinking about this in a county, Montgomery County, where the average home value last year, 450,000 for a single family home. That's the average in Montgomery County. But here's what we say. We say stuff like, man, I don't wanna be stuck in an apartment forever. I wish God would bless me so I could get out into a single family home. I, I could do more if I didn't have to be paying rent all the time. Try paying a mortgage and keeping up a house, trust me. <laughs> and we say stuff like, I certainly don't want to be homeless. But the Bible says Jesus had no place to lay his head. Hmm. We say, I, I just don't want to be alone. And Jesus was abandoned, abandoned. And I don't just mean at the cross. Folks, think this through with me for a minute. You remember how Jesus one time, his mother and brothers came, we think actually to, to kind of take him away because they thought he was getting carried away with religious stuff. And they came to a house where he was teaching. They couldn't even get in. And what did Jesus say? He said, these are my brothers and sisters. This is my family, those who do the will of my Father who sent me. You remember that? Isn't that great? Wouldn't you love for Jesus to be standing here today and go, these are my brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, we'd, we'd all love that. We'd all love that. Then Jesus came back to that same family for support. He said, listen, I, I got to go over here and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, you do know what Gethsemane means, right? The, the olive press. You understand that the press was symbolic for what Jesus was going through. Pressure like nobody had ever known. And he's going into the garden and praying. And what does he ask his family to do? I, I love you. You're my brothers and sisters. I want you to show a little support for me. Here's what I'd like to ask you to do. What he asked him to do? Watch and watch and pray. He goes off, prays for a while. He comes back. What are they doing? He wakes him up, says, you know, listen, I really need your support. You're my family. You're my brothers and sisters. I just need a little support here. Pray for me. I got to go back and pray some more. He comes back. What are they doing? This, this, Jesus was abandoned even when they were around. He was abandoned. And then he, he was the one, while they're doing that, while they are essentially abandoning him in his hour of need, what's he doing? He's in the press. He's in the press deciding that we are still worth dying for. Even that lousy family of his that's sleeping on him out just right outside the gate. Wow. Wow. We don't want to be alone. Jesus was abandoned. We say, I don't want to suffer. Jesus suffered, though he preferred not to suffer. We say, I don't want to die. Jesus died, though he preferred not to die. He said, I wish this cup could pass from my lips, but not my will, thine be done. You see, unmet expectations, hope deferred, only makes the heart sick if it's the wrong priority. Honoring God at the top will never make your heart sick. And Jesus stewarded his life to please the Father, not just himself, which brings us to our last truth today. If pleasing God is our ultimate hope, 
then other unmet expectations are not as important as we think or as we thought they were. You see, even though every desire we have in this life will not be met, God is happy with every desire we have that is rooted in pleasing him. I'll give you a few examples. Let's see. Every Christian has had a moment where they had an idea for a ministry. Over my 30 years of pastoring, I, I've seen this, yes, many times. Oh, I think I want to do it. And I'm sure that God told me to do it. But then that ministry didn't happen. It didn't come about. They're disappointed. They think, well, maybe it wasn't from God, or then they think maybe God is just cruel. He called me to it, or he opened my eyes to it, but then he didn't make it happen. Or there's some bad person down at the church, most likely on the church staff, who killed my dream. No, friends. No, friends. That's not it. Clarity comes to our lives when we get focused down to one great desire, to please God. So whether our specific dream for this or that, our specific goal or expectation takes place or not, we can be joyful in this root desire to please him no matter how else life turns out, whether circumstances are good or bad, whether I'm on a high or a low, if I'm all about meeting God and pleasing him. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, that means whether I live or die, whether I'm at home in this body still on the earth or whether I'm gone from this earth, no matter what happens, my goal to be pleasing to him. Paul says, that's our one ambition. Wow. You want some clarity this year? There is clarity. Go back to what we sang earlier today. Listen, to seek God is to find him. To find him is to know him. To know him is to love him. And to love him is to please him. Do not go past another go. Do not worry about collecting another 200 bucks. You have found what life is about. Seek, find, know, love, please the living God. That's what it's about. So let's go back, in case you think I'm making this up, that this is a lot of psychology. This is Bible, folks. Bible, Bible, Bible. David is dying, and he's preparing for his son Solomon to build the temple. And you know what his attitude is? Is he frustrated that he didn't get to do it? Is he angry? Is he disappointed that he's not going to see his desires fulfilled? No, he is overcome with joy because his greatest desire was being fulfilled. He was honoring God and God's will was being done. And I want you to hear his prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. So this is several chapters later, right? This is a different place in the story. He knows what's going to happen. Here's what he says. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. You see, he's talking about the financial stewardship that he's done for a temple that he's not going to be there for. He's talking about the financial stewardship of the people of God that he's celebrating, that he's not going to get to enjoy going to the temple. He says, I have seen with joy 
how willingly your people who are here have given to you, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Not loyal to me as King David, but loyal to you, God. An old man at this point who has given his whole life walking with God, David shares with us the secret of keeping our hearts alive even when certain desires, certain expectations go unmet. He was still practicing life stewardship of his time, his relationships, and his resources even when he wasn't getting exactly what he had wanted originally. Friends, unmet expectations are difficult to deal with. But when our hearts are loyal to God above every other desire, the one desire that matters most will always be realized, and that's pleasing God. So I'm going to close there today. I've got video folks back up there. I know you're watching and following. I'm going to close there. Because there's nothing more important that I can say to you as you close out 2018, as you ramp up 2019, than to say, make God your primary desire. Steward everything else in your life towards seeking, finding, knowing, loving, and pleasing the God who is and you'll never have a moment's regret. Let's pray together. Holy God, I just come before you on behalf of this church family, of those who are joining us through technology and recordings. Who knows, maybe years into the future this will be heard. Nonetheless, we are praying right now and praying for them, praying for all of us, that you would help us escape the prison of unmet expectations that have built on desires that were not the right ones or maybe weren't in the right timing. So help us, O oh God, in these next weeks as we study and grow in your word together to recommit ourselves to life stewardship. Help us to balance grace and truth, and to have courageous conversations, and to make courageous decisions. God, help us to move forward knowing that the greatest expectation we can have in life is to live for you and to bring honor and pleasure to you. That's our prayer for 2019, and all God's people agreed and said, amen.